Hello and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. The countries of Latin America and the Caribbean were hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic, and PAHO, the Pan American Health Organization, said the pandemic revealed the region's health systems are, quote, fragile and susceptible, quote. Now, one measure of health system strength is the ability to withstand shocks and disruptions. How did the COVID-19 pandemic disrupt routine healthcare services in Latin America and the Caribbean, and how did those countries respond? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I'm here with Christian Herrera, Senior Health Specialist in the Latin America and Caribbean region of the World Bank's Health, Nutrition, and Population Global Practice. Dr. Herrera and co-authors published a paper in the December 2023 issue of Health Affairs examining how the COVID-19 pandemic disrupted healthcare service delivery in eight Latin American and Caribbean countries. Their work was based on interviews with health system decision makers in these countries. They explored the barriers to maintaining routine health services, and they discussed innovative strategies to sustain and recover the services that were lost. We'll discuss their findings in today's episode. Dr. Herrera, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation because it uh, draws on uh, qualitative work that really gives us some insights that you can't get any other way. But let's start just by setting the stage, if we could. I mentioned that the Latin American Caribbean region was hit hard by the COVID pandemic. Uh, How hard was the region hit? Can you give us a little sense of that? Um, So before going straight to this uh, question and the actual paper, just to say that this work is part of a larger uh, project that included also quantitative analysis, taking uh, data directly from countries, also from publicly available global data. And this qualitative part is the one that we are publishing in Health Affairs. And um, you said it's a good complement to have both sides. And uh, I'll be very happy to talk about these two sides also during our conversation. So how hard was uh, hit the Latin American and Caribbean region? Well, uh, LAC is home to only around 8.5% of the world population. Uh, However, it accounted, the region, for 13% of all cases globally, more or less, and almost 25% of all COVID-19 deaths. Right, So much larger impact in terms of health. And when you see also global excess, so excess mortality, which is a very good measure that was developed more no, and, and to compare what was the impact across uh, countries and regions, uh, Latin America still accounts for 15% of all global excess. So this means, uh, again, that a lower percentage of the population, still the impact was higher. And this was not only on health, right? The region region's gross domestic uh, product, the GDP contraction, in 2020, for example, uh, hit 27% uh, of of reduction of GDP, which is the largest in over 100 years and was the worst worldwide, again. So it was not only very bad in terms of health, it was very bad in terms of the economy. And uh, also we explored, and this was other colleagues in the the World Bank, in terms of education, the the loss in terms of education for uh, children, adolescents was uh, huge. 
was really, really bad. And this was in the context that uh, the pandemic uh, reached the region uh, around two months later than most advanced economies. If you remember in, in 2020, around January February was when this started in some way in, in advanced economies in, in Europe, in the U.S., but only until March, April, this came and, and reached the region. But even with those two months, the impact was this huge. So governments, in the end, had a little bit more time preparing or implement some measures. But even with this, the pandemic caused this immense human suffering and loss of lives no? and, and for the economies across the region. Well, you present that information very clearly, and I appreciate you noting at the outset that the study we published is only part of a larger effort. Now, so much focus and much of what you described is on COVID-related deaths and excess mortality. But your work here, and it's such an important angle, is to look at what happens to the broader health sector and the ability of the health sector to deliver services other than just responding to the COVID pandemic? So can you say a little bit about how routine health service delivery in the region was affected by the pandemic? We were seeing that a lot of research, a lot of studies were conducted more in developed countries in in the north. And uh, we also did some analysis of what was published in the first year, for example, during the pandemic. And we saw that uh, the LAC region was very underrepresented. So that triggered in some way the idea of developing this study and in the end to, uh, as much as possible, inform decisions. Um, and that's why the focus is on recovering, sustaining, you know, and learning for the future. So we focused more on health service delivery, you know, on routing health services. You can call it essential healthcare services as well. These disruptions were uh, happened across all the life course. Uh, also, this uh, the, there were there was an increase in inequities in access, and also worsened uh, financial protection. So it was very broad in terms of the impact. And uh, the World Bank conducted a household survey in different waves during 2020 and 2021, so five waves. And uh, uh, the largest disruption was reported at the earlier, the first uh, stages of the pandemic. So 24% of all households reported a healthcare disruption when they needed when they perceived a need for healthcare. And this was around May, June 2020. Then in the following waves of the of this phone survey, this dropped to an average of 12% and then in 20, 2021 to 3%. So we see that at the early stages, the, the impact in terms of perceived need and then not using healthcare services was higher. And then, of course, we have from primary care, so promotion, prevention, uh, then curative care, rehabilitation, palliative care, it was all uh, affected. And uh, and yeah, we can talk a bit more about uh, more of the specifics, but uh, it was uh, all affected. And now we are seeing some evidence of, uh, of the consequences of, of this type of all this, uh, these disruptions, right? I want to sort of bounce back and forth between what's just uh, the focus of your paper and the broader context. And just before we get any further, I think it probably is worth noting for the audience 
In the qualitative study that's in our journal, you spoke to policy leaders, and I just wonder if you could say a little bit more about who did you talk to and what sort of questions did you ask, and then we'll get a little bit into what you learned. We uh, had access to health system decision makers from ministries of health and healthcare managers that had responsibilities during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this, uh, we had access to, to these uh, people uh, in eight Latin American and Caribbean countries. So Argentina, Chile, Colombia, Paraguay, Peru, and Uruguay in South America. Then in the Caribbean, we uh, spoke with colleagues in, from the Dominican Republic. And going more to the north, uh, we also uh, interviewed colleagues in uh, Mexico. So that's, those are the eight countries. In total, we talked with 42 decision makers no? and, and managers from these health systems. And we talked about the nature of uh, these disrupted uh, services, the barriers they experienced to provide care no? when they were leading these systems and, and, and providers mostly in, um, during the pandemic, and then the strategies no? to sustain and to recover uh, such uh, services. So before I asked you who you spoke to, you mentioned that there were very significant declines in health service delivery. And you referred to an array from primary and preventive services all the way through uh, more intensive services. Presumably, any loss of services in the region would have consequences for people's health. What can you say about what the effects are of disruptions at the level that you describe? So, as, as I said, there, there is a wide range you know, of, of services and virtually all were disrupted because the priority was for COVID-19 patients and also because patients didn't go to obtain services, no? But when we ask people about the reasons, it's mostly because of the, that the system wasn't providing these uh, services, no? Uh, this is what people responded. But then when we talk with these decision makers and managers of these eight countries, for example, vaccination coverage was one of the things that uh, immediately was was mentioned. Um, this we know now that this hasn't been recovered, and uh, even uh, in 2022, the the numbers pre-pandemic in terms of uh, immunization coverage are still not. Uh, recovered. And, and the Latin American and Caribbean region is still below the global average. And, and before the pandemic, the, the region was doing quite well. So even though the, the, all these efforts by, by people working the system, health workers, etc., the gap is still there. Then maternal health services is a, is a very good example again, because maternal mortality is a, is a measure, is, a, is an indicator that is regularly measured. So we know that these services were disrupted. We measured this quantitatively and it was reported then by these uh, colleagues you know, in all these, these countries. And now we know that some countries, for example, Brazil almost doubled maternal mortality from 2020 to 2021. 
So these numbers, and we know that other countries will report this type of in increases, and it's dramatic. Here we're talking about the lives of mothers, and, and probably this is also affecting uh, an increasing uh, neonatal. Um, we also know more th that uh, non-communicable diseases, the access to services for non-communicable diseases also decreased in a, in a very important manner. So all elective procedures, all uh, controls, uh, all the, the consultations no, for uh, to control uh, these conditions and we know now that cancer for example that it has is it's been increasing and again services have not been recovered at the level to to reach the levels pre-pandemic uh, and there are some uh, modeling studies showing that mortality will increase starting now from 2023 onwards. Uh, and this is, of course, very, very shocking, no? And, and it's part of the research that we want to continue doing, monitoring this, uh, this data. So you're really painting a picture here where the, the whole world, for obvious reasons, swings its attention to the response to COVID-19, and as it should. But you're talking about interruptions in life-saving healthcare services, whether it's immunizations that can affect someone's child's ability to live, uh, maternal mortality, you mentioned, uh, cancer, non-communicable diseases. I mean, these kinds of interruptions are also life and death. So, so in essence, one huge shock to the healthcare system through COVID is creating additional life-threatening shocks. And the disruptions uh, have just uh, profound implications. Uh, so I want to talk to you now about what it is that we can learn from this in terms of the reasons for the disruption and the responses. Uh, we'll get into some of the solutions in future orientation when we continue our conversation after a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Christian Herrera about disruptions to routine healthcare services in Latin American Caribbean countries in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've uh, learned that the effects of the pandemic on routine healthcare were profound. And before the break, one of the comments you made is that when you interviewed families, they reported that a lot of the reductions in care were about the lack of availability. So it wasn't just people not getting care because they didn't want it or didn't feel it was safe, but they couldn't find it. So that suggests that there are elements of the healthcare system or characteristics of the healthcare system uh, that led to these sorts of disruptions and uh, could make them either better or worse. And presumably, uh, as we'll discuss momentarily, we can learn from those. So can you say a little bit about the relationship between the health system characteristics that the people you uh, interviewed talked about and the disruptions that people experienced? 
Yes, so so from the from this qualitative study and taking the big picture of the whole project that we developed, we I can identify three health system characteristics you could say in Latin America that are common, affected the region in a similar way. So first, pre-existing deficiencies, and to give you two clear examples. Latin American and Caribbean countries have a low spending on health, and in particular, a low public spending on health. And 57% of current expenditure in health is public, which is far below the average of the OECD countries, which is 74%, so much larger share of public spending on health. And this means that families are uh, holding, uh, no, are receiving a higher burden of spending. So out-of-pocket expenditure is much higher there. And this affected also during the pandemic. We know that. And even there was an increase in out-of-pocket spending and impoverishing expenditure on health in some countries, for example, Mexico and Peru, which measure this uh, data, you know, this information during the pandemic. We know that happened. And then the second example is human resources. In Latin America, on average, for example, there are two uh, physicians per 1,000 people. But in OECD countries, this reaches 3.5 physicians per 1,000 people. So much more in OECD countries. And uh, in Latin America, this is a big gap. So we know that these are just a few examples, a couple of examples of pre-existing deficiencies that are explaining these very large disruptions and the larger impact that the region experienced with the COVID-19. The second uh, characteristic of the health system is fragmentation. Health systems across Latin America are clearly fragmented at the very least into three uh, parts. One is the public uh, sector, which normally provides care and services coverage for the lowest income share of the population. Then you have social security, which normally provides coverage for a formally employed uh, population. So that's, and usually these are middle classes, uh, upper middle classes. And then you have the private sector. And the private sector is uh, private insurance and private providers. And uh, this is for the highest income share uh, or groups of the population. So you have these three fragmented fragments in health systems that reflects also inequalities in social structures in countries, right? In other, in developed countries, in some way, uh, the health systems try to break these social differences, no? And, and that's, that happens. But in, the, in Latin America and the Caribbean, there is a correlation between these parts of the of this society and the health system. And of course, as you can imagine, people with higher income, with access to private sector, obtain more access to care and less disruption. And this, there was in some way a gradient, you can say, for, for this. And then the third part, the shortcomings in governance and trust. We know that uh, there were important governance issues during the pandemic, for example, on how to follow science, no? and this was something that is not that, that didn't happen only in LAC in Latin America and the Caribbean, but some countries really struggle with uh, how to, to follow science. 
And then uh, this correlated with the trust of people in the health system. And, and this uh, lack of trust uh, is something that is harming access and uh, also to receive uh, quality uh, care. Um, and this was a big issue that we also experienced and that was uh, also uh, reported during our, our research. So you've described some very uh, long-standing challenges. As you note, these are system characteristics that didn't start with COVID-19, but they made the conditions for sustaining health services during the pandemic more difficult. But you also learned in your conversations about some efforts that were made to overcome the disruption caused by the pandemic. Uh, can you say a little about what the response was given these challenges and, and system weaknesses? You can imagine that in this immense pressure no, that all the world experienced, the governments in particular uh, had the need to innovate and to make changes that otherwise in normal circumstances would have been really difficult. So in Latin America and the Caribbean, there were two major innovations or efforts. No? One was that ministries of health really took charge of the response and they exercised their powers in a more broader and stronger way than in regular times, you could say. So the stewardship function from the Ministry of Health was really uh, strong and uh, to respond, no? And the second was the coordination between public and private sector. As I said before, there is this, this is really fragmented across uh, the region in, in almost every country, and there was a need to respond to bring this together. So we say in the paper, for example, that uh, in some way, health systems in LAC functioned as a single health system to provide care for COVID-19 patients. And this is important to say, no, this was only for COVID-19 patients. And that was a very important measure to provide life-saving care for them, absolutely. But this didn't happen for all the other parts of the system for all the other conditions, etc. And uh, but but it was really important. It also showed how weak in many countries stewardship and governance is. So just to give you an example, in one uh, country, the to deliver and to mobilize COVID-19 vaccines across the country to reach the entire country, the public sector has to partner with a, with a company, a private company, which already had this in place. And, and it's kind of funny, no? But it was the largest beer company in the country. So, and you, you know, they have to deliver beer, cold beer, uh, to different parts, to, to rural areas, uh, etc. So it, it is good, no? It, it, it's great that public-private collaboration happened because it allowed to to deliver vaccines in this in this case in a good way with existing uh, chains, uh, cold chains, etc. But it shows how weak institutions and governance it is. Uh, so this in some, in some way was really good, but showed the weakness that the public institutions in health have uh, in, the, in the region in, in, in different parts of the, of the system. You know, it's interesting as I uh, listen to you because I think a similar general story with very different details comes out of almost every country. 
The general story is this was an emergency and we set aside many of the barriers that have kept us from having as strong a system as we could because we knew that this was a crisis. But it's also the case that our ability to transfer what we were able to do around COVID back into the rest of the system has been challenging. And yet the details of what disruption needed to occur in a positive disruption, what, uh, you know, uh, innovation needed to occur to successfully address COVID-19 was really very different from place to place. So as we come to a close in our conversation, I, I want you to sort of bring us all the way back to the beginning. You start with a, a region very hard hit by COVID-19 with pre-existing challenges in the health sector There's some innovation to help address uh, COVID-19 to try to reduce the burden. But as you say, uh, it doesn't necessarily circle back into strengthening systems overall for the long haul. But that, after all, is what we need to do here. So as you reflect on what you heard from these health system leaders and policymakers in these countries, what lessons do you draw and what advice can you feed back to them based on what they told you regarding the kind of health system strengthening they might want to make a priority uh, to solidify some of the innovations that they were able to put in place and reduce the likelihood that the next time there is something as hard-hitting as COVID-19, the disruption to routine services won't, won't be as large. This is so, uh, probably the hardest question, no? but uh, the whole aim of the, this paper and the entire project was to inform decisions as much as possible. So four points. The first one, very briefly, is about funding. No, During the pandemic, there was a, an increase in funding for health. Of course, directed to COVID-19, that's that's great to respond, you know, emergency. But this showed that with the, the, the Latin American and Caribbean region still needs to spend more on health, and in particular, public spending on health to reduce private spending, especially out-of-pocket spending, no? Uh, with, the, with this new funding, we go to a second point, which is how to sustain and maintain progress and innovations that were made. No? We talked about some of the innovations. There were more related about, about the expansion of the health workforce, the use of technologies such as telemedicine. This was huge, really, really big in, in many countries. Colombia, it was incredible. Uh, Chile as well, uh, and others, no? And the, the use of mobile health, uh, etc. So these innovations... Uh, should be maintained and the resources, the first point that I made, should be connected to maintain and sustain these new things. Then primary health care, third point. In our interviews during the pandemic, primary health care was underutilized, I would say. But then when we talked about what to do in the future, primary health care arise as, as an important, a very important part of the system that should be there in particular to go uh, early, no? before reaching hospitals, before reaching curative care. No? And that's where primary care close to the communities, close to people, to families, will help more. No? And uh, the role of primary health care should be highlighted, should be uh, put in the, uh, as a very clear priority for 
uh, health systems. And finally, linked also to, to this term of primary care is uh, how to develop more resilient health systems to face future public health emergencies. This was not in the agenda, you know, to be honest. It was not in the policy agenda of uh, health systems. It, it, at least it was not a priority. Maybe it was there, it was mentioned, but it wasn't a priority. Now it, it, it moved up you know, in terms of the priorities, but still this must not be forgotten because the, once the uh, emergency goes away, we forgot about this you know, and, uh, and new priorities uh, arise. But in this case, we are trying to maintain the, in some way the, the pressure to build these resilient health systems and not only for um, epidemiological emergencies. We now have other public health emergencies, for example, coming from climate change, coming from migrations, coming from uh, uh, conflicts in countries, no? Uh, and health systems need to develop resilience to all these emergencies, starting from primary healthcare, no, and this is the link with the previous uh, priority. So, so yeah, that's four key points that I can I can mention at the end of our conversation. Well, Dr. Herrera, thank you for explaining this uh, so well and for making really clear the linkages between pre-existing health system design and the disruption caused by a pandemic and the need to then learn from how those two come together to prepare us to do better for the future. And although obviously the work you did is focused on the Latin American and Caribbean region, I know many of the lessons you describe at least uh, have applicability around the world, even if they would need to be uh, carried out in a somewhat different uh, form in other locations. So I appreciate the work you've done, the clarity you've provided to this really important issue. Uh, thank you for being my guest today on A Health Policy. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Policy.